Greetings and welcome to another Different Church Podcast. My name is Jarrett and I hope you are having an awesome day. I'm recording this intro at 10.57 p.m. Sunday night. Today was our first Sunday of the new year and it was an awesome Sunday. Great crowd, great band. Uh, Really pumped to have everybody there and really pumped to have you listening right now. I legitimately have zero announcements. This is the you know very beginning of the year. We got nothing going on. At some point soon, we'll probably start doing some groups, doing some events, doing some things, but nothing right now, nothing to tell you about other than I think you're awesome and I hope you're having a great day. And uh, yeah, this is our New Year's message. And um, you know, you probably think that we are going to start it out with some sort of like uh, New Year's resolution message. In true different church fashion, we are not going to kick off the new year with a message about the new year <laughs> or a new you. We're not doing resolutions or intentions or words of the year or anything like that. This is kind of a trend that we do. One year we spent the entire month of January talking about like narcissism in church. <laughs> so today we're actually going to talk through an audience submitted question. I have Lots of them that we're going to be going through over the next while. If you have a question, you didn't miss your opportunity, you can just email me at hello at diffchurch.com. So this is today's question. Where do we stand on salvation? As in the sinner's prayer, and sinner's prayer is in quotation marks. (laughs) Are you failing as a Christian if you aren't sharing the gospel? And how do you reconcile the Great Commission with what we believe now, knowing that proselytizing is manipulative? This is only the second audience-submitted question. We have answered the first one was all about Jews and whether or not they're the chosen people. We did that one in December. Um, And just like the first one, not a question. That's like five questions, okay? (laughs) Um, Like, where do we stand on salvation and is the sinner's prayer necessary for it? Are we failing as Christians if we aren't sharing the gospel? And how do we reconcile the Great Commission with the idea that proselytizing is manipulative? We have like 20 minutes. So please keep your arms and legs and um, existential crises inside the moving vehicle at all times. We're going to go fast, okay? As always, if you want to get deeper, come over to my house. I will make you tea, possibly cookies, depending on how much I got screamed at that day, and um, we can talk more, okay? So question number one, where do we stand on salvation in the sinner's prayer? I could spend like two months on this one by itself. I will try to rein in my Pentecostal nature and get you out of here before you starve to death. Okay, in order to figure out where we stand on salvation, we first have to figure out what salvation actually is. Okay, so there's lots of verses on salvation in the Bible. One of the most often quoted ones for Christians comes from Acts 16.31. It says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. You and your household. How many of you have heard this verse quoted? Okay. As with all verses in the Bible, it has a context. Okay, this is not just a random one-liner. Like any, none of the Bible is a random one-liner, okay? And this story is wild. You should go read it. You should read Acts 16. Paul, the writer, is saying these words to a prison guard. What had happened was, Paul and Silas got severely beaten and thrown in jail after they delivered a demon-possessed enslaved girl whose master was using her to tell people's fortunes. And they were like, we've had enough of this. Demon come out of this girl. She miraculously turns fine. The guy who is using her to make money gets really mad, whips up a mob that attacks Paul and Silas, beats them up, and throws them in jail for, like, disturbing the peace, essentially. 
That's not the craziest part. <laughs> the craziest part is then Paul and Silas are in jail, literally chained to a wall, okay? And they decide this is a great time to have a praise and worship service. So they are just singing their little hearts out in jail, okay? And God then sends an earthquake specifically to break off their chains and open the doors of the jail, nothing else. <sighs> what? It apparently couldn't have been that big of an earthquake, number one, because the jail was still intact, only their chains fell off. Number two, the prison guard slept through it. He wakes up and sees all these chains and the doors open, and he's like, oh no, the prisoners have escaped. I should kill myself, because it was his job to make sure they didn't escape, and just as very punitive, like a life for a life. You lose your prisoners, off with your head. He's just going to do it preemptively. Then, to his surprise, Paul and Silas are like, don't do that, we're still here. And he was like, I'm sorry, what? And he's so relieved, he falls on the ground in front of them, and he's like, what do I do to be saved? And he's told, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. Okay. (laughs) So, if anyone's like, you need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved, you can respond with, well, there was not an earthquake. (laughs) Um, I did not have to think about killing myself because prisoners escaped. This is a completely different scenario. On one level, the guard already was saved. He was saved from death because his prisoners did not escape. He got immediate salvation, okay? This was one that he could not understand. To any reasonable person, when your chains fall off, you run away. I hope. You're not being very logical if you don't. Run away. But Paul and Silas stayed on purpose, and they saved the life of the guard. He could not understand why they would do that, so he asks for more information. Paul and Silas tell him about Jesus. Jesus was the reason that they stayed. Their faith in Jesus caused them to act in a way that saved someone's life, even though they would have been perfectly justified in running away. They were unjustly jailed in the first place, and staying could have brought them even more harm they still prioritize the safety of the very person who was sent to keep them in jail. That is counter to every normal way a person should act in that situation. The guard is overwhelmed by this. He begs them to tell him more so he also can have this experience. So Paul tells him to have faith in Jesus and he will experience the same transformation of the soul, him and everyone in his whole house. And then the guard does believe. And then this makes him take Paul and Silas out of jail to his own house where he feeds them gives them clothing, treats all of their wounds, and gives them a warm place to sleep for the night with his own family. So then, in essence, the guard saves Paul and Silas. His faith in Jesus caused him to act in a way that would greatly benefit the prisoners, even though he would have been perfectly justified to leave them in jail. It's not his business whether they're there or not, what reason for their being there. It doesn't say the guard had to say some magic words out loud. It does not say the guard had to mentally agree to 16 fundamental truths about God or Jesus. It does not say that the guard had to admit that he was a sinner in the hands of an angry God or any other such nonsense, nor does it say that he had to then commit to read his Bible like a good Christian or join a prayer group or anything else. He simply asked to know more, found Paul and Silas's answer compelling, and decided to trust Jesus could do something similar in his life, and then immediately acted on that belief and helped someone. So, I think we have a fundamental misunderstanding in the modern church of what salvation actually means. 
It is not a get out of jail free card. It's not like a hall pass. You can be like, mm, I don't have to go to hell, okay? God gave me a pass. I'm just here till I go to heaven. I'm just taking a bathroom break before heaven. It's not a bunch of words that you say in a particular way at a particular time, and then poof, you're saved. That's not how this works. Salvation is a fundamental reordering of the way we think, the way we act, what we prioritize in our lives. Salvation is trusting that God actually gives a crap. That hope in the face of the atrocity of our world is not stupid. That through Jesus' life and example, we are empowered ourselves to live freely and act in ways that free others, even when it makes no sense to outside people. Salvation means we're free not to fight back, even when the other person deserves it. It means we're free to forgive, even when the magnitude of wrongs done cannot be put into words. It means we are free to sing songs when the situation looks bleak and to not run away or take the easy way out because we know that this is not the end and that our efforts are not going unnoticed and everything we do does matter and we can and do have a relationship with God that is based on trust and love and respect and care, not fire and brimstone and fear. Jesus came to show what God is like. Well, that's what God is like. Gentle and fierce, wise and relatable, unafraid, and determined to love us no matter what, even to his own detriment. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Okay, from what? Saved from what? From ourselves, mostly. From being trapped in harmful patterns? From generational trauma? From our urge for violence and revenge? from our fear and our self-loathing, from our insecurities and our greed, from our need to use other people to prop ourselves up. There's a lot to be saved from, but I think maybe a better question is what are we saved for? For what? Maybe for hope, for laughter, for freedom, for wholeness, for completeness, for gentleness with ourselves and each other, for sticking up for each other, for helping each other, for letting our lives be an example of what it looks like to love and be loved by this God who is so important to us. Salvation is like instantaneous and also lifelong. In church, we like to parse this out and we're like, okay, salvation is this instant explosion that happens in the soul of your being. And all of the stuff after that is what we call sanctification because we have to have two different words because we like to make things complicated. I think of it almost in the same way of marriage. Like when I said I do to Josiah, he knew what he was getting into. <laughs> and every once in a while I like to remind him, I'm like, you knew. <laughs> I said, yes, I'm married. That meant we were married, right? But for the last 12 years, 13, I don't know, it's been a while. For the last an amount of years, a teenage amount of years, our marriage is almost a teenager, we have been learning how to be married, right? I don't wake up every morning and I'm like, I said I do, therefore I don't have to do anything else. We're just married forever, no matter what. I don't have to look at you. I don't have to talk to you. I don't have to buy you your favorite snack. I don't have to think about your birthday. I don't care. We're married. I said the, I said the magic words, didn't I? That's not how it works. It is something that happens in an instant, and it's like an explosion of color 
right? But then for the rest of our life, the painting keeps expanding. The painting keeps growing. There keeps being more color added to it. It comes into a symphony that's so large of wholeness and healing that the earth has a hard time containing it. Do we think we can achieve that level of fundamental life and soul transformation by saying three sentences of magic words called the sinner's prayer? I don't. I think it's ridiculous. It is also ridiculous to think that God, the God of the universe, the heavens and the earth, et cetera, et cetera, who valued relationship with us so much that they became human and lived with us, needs us to say out loud some kind of pre-formulated words so that they can know we really mean it. Now, however, as I said before, if I said I do and then never talk to my husband again, that would be weird, right? I think that there is absolutely nothing wrong with verbal acknowledgement that we want to start down a new path. I mean, if prayer is just talking to God, and if God is going to play a meaningful role in our lives going forward, wouldn't we want to talk to God about it? The traditional sinner's prayer, which I'm sure most of you have heard, I got this from the illustrious Google. It goes like this, dear Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I turn from my sins and invite you to come into my heart and life. I want to trust you and follow you as my Lord and Savior. Amen. <laughs> Hate it. I have prayed it in my life probably like a hundred times, especially as a teenager, because every week I was like, oh no, did I mean it enough last time? Um, but I do hate that prayer. Uh, it's pretty churchy, so I'm gonna give you a translation in normal people language of what is actually being said there. Dear God, I suck, and I finally know it. Please forgive me for being so awful. My sins killed you somehow all those years ago. Sorry about that. Thank God, haha. <laughs> you rose from the dead, so my sins didn't kill you permanently, am I right? Please take over my life so I'm not so awful and I don't end up in hell. Amen. Much better. I think we need a new prayer. <laughs> okay, that prayer is terrible. Not one that we just shoot out of a t-shirt cannon at people who are genuinely looking for God. You'd be like, you're a sinner and you're a sinner and you get a salvation, say the prayer. And you get a salvation, say the prayer. <laughs> we need one that really captures the heart of what we're trying to get at which is a much deeper level of a relationship with God, right? I've taken a stab at it. I am sure it's incomplete and not deep enough and also too long-winded and a little self-serving at the same time. And what in this life is not? The words aren't so much what's important. It's the intention behind them, okay? So try this one on for size. God, you see us as we truly are. Our secrets and our shame all the ways we hurt inside, and all the ways we have hurt others. You see the patterns we are stuck in, and the fear we have of being vulnerable, of being useless, of being too much, of being too little. We confess that we have walked in dark places. We have been cruel, and bitter, and impatient, and violent. You have seen all of this and you have not looked away. We trust that your unconditional love and your way of peace will heal our souls. We believe that you give us a thousand opportunities every day to be free. Come and scrub the grime of self-loathing and self-importance off of our hearts. 
so that we can be a bright light to other people. May we believe in Jesus, not as a theological concept, but as the embodiment of your true self that walks with us as we learn to be like you. The baby would like to say hi. (laughs) Bless us that we may find new ways of living in your eternal peace, and that as we learn to love as you love, we will find open the arms of heaven here in every moment we have been gifted. Amen. Is that prayer necessary? Eh. But the intention behind it is, the attitude behind it is, right? I think it would be quite weird if we were like, I want to get into a relationship and I'm gonna just recite something with no feeling or meaning behind it. Now, for questions two and three, we have a couple minutes. (laughs) Are we failing as Christians if we are not sharing the gospel? I feel like this one's really simple. Am I failing as a Christian if I am not verbally telling people all the time that Jesus died on the cross because of their sins so they don't have to suck so much anymore? And I would, they, would they like to repeat the sinner's prayer? No, I would in fact say if you go around doing that, then you are failing as a Christian because that is the opposite of what being Christ-like is. However, are we failing as Christians if we aren't showing people with our actual lives that healing and wholeness is possible? Yes that we feel free, and that even when we act in old harmful ways and stick to old harmful patterns, that we're working on it with the help of Jesus, that God is not just a part of our life that we value, but the very source of our life, the source of the healing and the wholeness and the peace that we're learning how to live in every day, yes, our life should reflect that. The gospel of Jesus is miraculous. The salvation we have received and are receiving is cosmic. So then how is it that a good chunk of what American evangelical Christianity is sharing is dried up and dusty and outright offensive? St. Francis said this famous quote, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. We're already sharing the gospel, right? Every day, in every moment, with every word, we speak, every action we we take, what we choose to do, what we choose not to do, what we care about, what we cast aside. The question is not, are we sharing the gospel? The question is, what gospel are you sharing? Hi, buddy. (laughs) Third, and finally, how do we reconcile the Great Commission with the idea that proselytizing is manipulative? This one made me smile so much. So it carries with it a little bit of an assumption that proselytizing is manipulative, and I disagree with that premise. Um, To proselytize is basically to, like, advocate for something, promote a belief, right? Attempt to change someone's mind from one thing to another. Promoting a belief you hold or attempting to change someone's mind is not fundamentally manipulative. It's not. It is not causing harm. You don't need to be held accountable. It's not toxic, okay? Example, silly example. I like pizza. Pizza doesn't like me because cheese. But I like pizza, and every once in a while, it's worth it. And if you were to tell me you don't care about pizza, you're just like, meh, pizza, could take it or leave it, I would immediately proselytize you about my favorite pizza restaurant, which is Toby's Little Italy on 49th Street. It's the best pizza in St. Pete. You're welcome. It's a big fat yum. If you are like, pizza's fine, I would be like, excuse me, I'm sorry, 
Pizza is not just fine. Pizza is miraculous. Pizza is part of the reason we were put on this planet. Pizza is a triumph of human innovation. Am I being manipulative to you? No, okay? Not in the slightest. We proselytize about everything all the time. Food, TV shows, books, relationships, sports, non-sports, whatever else you do. Um, Even tricky things like politics and religion. We proselytize people all the time for that. Is it manipulative? No. Telling someone about something that you are passionate about and trying to change their mind, not manipulative. What is manipulative is when a person says their mind will not be changed and they don't want to hear it and they're done with the conversation and then we keep trying to change their mind after that and we consistently look for ways to work our opinion and our beliefs in so that we can remind them they're wrong. And we think what they're doing, what they're living, what they're believing, whatever, is wrong and obviously we are right. So help us God. That is being super manipulative and also downright rude and crappy. What is the number one rule of being a Christ follower? It's not believe in Jesus. It's don't be a butthole. You guys can come back up here. (laughs) The Great Commission is from Matthew 28, and Jesus says to his followers, go and make disciples. Essentially, like, go. Wherever you go, share the gospel. And as we've discussed, you're already doing that. Go and take... Yeah. (laughs) Go and take your wonderful, miraculous life that is full to the brim of the unconditional love of God and share it with people around you. Be peaceful, be gentle, be kind, be patient, be long-suffering, be trusting and faithful and loving and hopeful and joyful. If necessary, every once in a while, sometimes, use your words. And if someone asks more, then tell them how God has empowered you to live freely. Tell them that life hurts, but it doesn't have to keep hurting. Tell them anxiety sucks, but you don't have to live in a panic. Tell them freedom is possible. And not just possible, it's actually happening. And of course, remember the three most important commandments. Love God. Love people. Don't be a butthole. Let's pray. Loved ones. What a breath of fresh air God's love is to our lungs. What a beautiful family meal when we're lonely and hungry. Salvation has come to us, not in a hurricane of self-loathing and punishment, but in a sweet baby that opened chubby fingers to the world, smiling, giving the gift of infectious joy. May we open our hands in turn to God, to ourselves, to each other, receiving and then sharing the peace of Christ with all. Amen.